Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now, each week on the show, I'm joined by a different leadership figure from the world of business, education, politics, sport, or even from local communities in the aim of truly discovering who those people are that get up every morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscape of the UK and discuss everything from making key decisions to educating our children and, of course, the success and the innovation that makes it all worthwhile in the end. On today's programme, I'm delighted to say that my guest is Simon Liebus, the Interim Chief Regulator of Ofqual, who has been in his current role since January 1st, 2021. Simon is well established in the fields of education, technology and curriculum delivery, having previously held the role of Chief Executive of Cambridge Assessments between 2002 and 2018. Uh, Simon, good afternoon and thank you for joining us on the show. Hi, very good to be on with you. It's a real pleasure welcoming you, Simon. Certainly is a lovely day for it. Um, I think we should begin by addressing the elephant in the room here, and that's the fact that we record this podcast in late June 2021, and therefore we're still feeling the effects of COVID-related social restrictions, and we have been for the best part of 15 months now. Given the impact that it's had on education at large, how do you feel COVID has affected the sector overall and indeed affected Ofqual since that first lockdown way back in March last year? Well, I started this role in January this year, so I wasn't around during the disruption last year. But obviously, looking across the sector as a whole, there has been massive disruption. Perhaps most troublingly, there's been a lot of lost learning because students have been very adversely impacted school closures, looking after relatives being ill themselves, not being able to access learning in the normal way, having to move a lot of their learning online. It's been very tough for students and it's been very tough for teachers as well. They've had to adapt very rapidly to teaching their students remotely. They've had to take on a lot of extra responsibilities, things like um, supervising uh, COVID testing and, and so on. They've had to um, take on a lot of extra workload this year, particularly they've been doing a lot of assessment working, uh, which would normally have been carried out by exam board. So there's been a lot of disruption all round. And of course, as I've just alluded to, it's had an impact on the exam system. The decision was taken in January this year, exams that wouldn't take place in the normal way. So we've had to move over from assessment, a system of exams to teacher assessment and that followed the disruption last year where central assessed grades were used instead of exams so it has Mm. been massively disruptive to education now key to your role when you stepped in as chief regulator at the start of this year was to restore public confidence following that algorithm fiasco of last summer which preceded your arrival how have you found it sort of getting to grips with that task and what sort of steps have been taken to restore that confidence well, I think one of Ofqual's prime statutory objectives is maintaining public confidence in the exam system. Last year was very difficult. 
lockdown took place, I think in March, so arrangements had to be put together very quickly. One of the issues was the use of an algorithm as a means of moderating or, or standardizing results. And that was something that was not able to command a good deal of public acceptance, I think largely because it deprived students of a sense of agency. They felt that things were being done to them, which they weren't really able to contribute to in a meaningful way. And both they and parents reacted very strongly to that, I think reasonably enough. Um, so this year, the approach has been very different. Um, one of the things that we did do right at the beginning of the year after the decision not to go ahead with exams normally was taken was to engage in a large-scale public consultation in collaboration with the Department for Education. Mm. And we had a record level of responses, over 100,000 responses to that. The consultation was asking about the arrangements for this year and what they should look like, how they should be organized, how they should be run. And we had about 50,000 students responding, about 25,000 parents, about 10,000 teachers, and then various other interested parties. So as I said, it was a record response. We took the opportunity and the time to read all of those responses. And so many of the arrangements that were put in place this year were informed by a high degree of consultation with the with the public and with those affected. And that's been one of the reasons I think there's been much more of a sense of agency this year and why I hope the arrangements will come much greater degree of public confidence. Mm. I suppose on the face of it, basing grades in each subject this year on teachers' assessments is probably the fairest for the students who've had to deal with a great amount of disruption to their education. But given that, you know, these um, teacher-assessed grades are essentially potentially going to be inflated, um, are these going to be likely considered meaningful by colleges and universities in your view? Um, this year, obviously, we've been quite clear about the reality that the outcomes are going to look somewhat different to what they'd look like in a normal year. But that, I think, is, is a reflection of the fact that the arrangements are very different to what they would be in a normal year. We're using teacher assessment rather than exams, and several consequences flow from that. One of them, I think, is, is what we call the benefit of the adult factor. In a normal year, if a teacher has a class of 30 students, they might know that five of them were going to get a grade nine, say, in their GCSEs. But uh, come exam day, probably only about three of them would achieve that because they had a problem on the day they'd revised the long, wrong stuff, they missed their alarm in the morning, all the sorts of things that can go wrong on an exam day. Mm. But given the nature of what we're doing this year, which is using teachers' holistic judgment to arrive at teacher-assessed grades, all five of those students would get a, a, a grade nine. So that's a, what we call the benefit of the doubt factor. I think that's going to contribute to um, an improvement probably in overall outcome levels. Also, we're only testing students on what they've been taught and what they, we would therefore expect them to know about. There's none of the hazards that you would have with normal exams that you get asked questions about, things that you haven't revised for or you didn't cover very thoroughly in the syllabus. So that also is probably going to put some upward pressure on results. And then, of course, there's the reality that students have been studying at home for much of the time and they haven't mm. had many of the normal distractions of a teenage life. So all those are factors that I think might contribute to some upward pressure on results. We'll have to wait and see. We don't know what the overall pattern of outcomes is. Um, in answer to the question is, is what, what will... HE or employers make of that. I think everybody knows this has been a year of massively disrupted 
education and everybody has a responsibility to ensure that students are able to progress in the most orderly and, and suitable way possible and, and, and do it in a supportive fashion. So yes, I'm entirely confident that um, we'll get a good level of support for the um, results once they're published and that people recognise the very difficult and challenging circumstances that students have had to, to work within. Mm. And with regards to um, sort of a safety net against grade inflation, if you will, I understand that exam boards are performing quality assurance checks on the submitted grades by teachers. Now, this is to ensure fairness, of course, but I understand that that process does also take the school or college's previous performance into consideration, similar to the algorithm last year. So is there any sort of room for grades to be pegged back on that basis, which could be a concern to pupils and parents? So what we ask schools to do when submitting the teacher assessed grades to exam boards is to provide a variety of information about what sources of evidence they've used um, the basis on which the judgments have been made. And one of the things we've asked schools to do is look at the results from the last examined year, so that's 2019, and provide as, as context. So in other words, if the teacher assessed grades that they're recommending are wildly out of kilter with um, those outcomes, there would need to be some sort of explanation for why that might be. But there could be all sorts of perfectly reasonable explanations, like a change of teacher, a change of syllabus, um, different cohort of students, all sorts of reasons why you would expect to see some change. And indeed, in any normal year, even when you're having exams, there is generally quite high levels of variability. So that 2019 reference point is, is really designed as context. It's not designed to be used like the algorithm as, as an instrument of, of moderation or standardization. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that if there is an incident where a pupil feels that they've been graded unfairly, there is a reasonable room for them to appeal that decision against an unreasonable exercise of academic judgment, perhaps. Yeah, the, as I, I said earlier, the, one of the things we are very mindful of is the need to ensure that students have a sense of agency, and clearly part of that is having the opportunity for remedy in the, in the event that they feel they've been hard done by. So we have made sure that we designed an appeals process that gives them that opportunity and that recourse. Now, disadvantaged pupils especially have been affected by lost learning, with digital poverty playing a part in home learning. So how do assessments this year respond to that disproportionate impact of lost learning to guarantee fairness, would you say? Well, the, the, the central principle that we've organised this year's assessment exercise around is the idea that students should only be assessed on what they have been taught and what they've had an opportunity to learn. So it's what we call the content coverage concession. They're only tested on content that they have been exposed to in their, in their teaching. And that obviously takes into account the fact that there will be differential levels of learning according to how schools or, or students have been impacted. So that's the primary vehicle for trying to deal with this. It provides a, a level playing field, I think, given the rather difficult circumstances of the year. It's not a perfect instrument. You couldn't expect assessment to be the primary vehicle for dealing with differential levels of lost learning, but I think it does provide a, a sound and a fair basis on which to um, to award teacher assessed grades in what's been a very difficult and highly disrupted year.
And I understand as well from the Education Secretary's statement at the Festival of Education recently that there is a framework in place for exams that were due to take place this summer to also occur between October and December, and that includes um, AS and A-levels and also GCSE exams. How has it been sort of preparing for that to be happening? Uh, Well, there is a small um, exam session in the autumn. It's not a, a normal um, exam season, and you, you, you made a comment that the, 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 the I think you were suggesting the summer exams have been rolled over. Actually, it's a much more limited exercise that's taking place in the autumn with a limited number of, of subjects mm-hmm. um, available to for, for students to enter into, and and um, it is it is there really as a as a, a safety um, backup for any candidates who, for whatever reason, haven't been able to access. Um, grades this summer. That's good. And um, a lot generally, as we've discussed already, has been made of lost learning during the pandemic period. And if we think about that more broadly, is recovering on lost education likely to be a long-term issue for our schools and colleges as opposed to a short-term fix in your view? Well, I'm not really in a position to comment because a lot of that is to do with um, more general issues of education policy rather than assessment. I think one again, again, one has to emphasise that assessment there is a, is a way of recording um, learning. It's not an instrument for redressing lost learning. And just on the digital divide that again we've briefly spoken about, given that technology is now playing more of a role in our day-to-day lives, do you think that addressing that gap is going to be important for the government's build back better agenda? Well, I think the government's already invested very heavily in making sure that um, a much broader range of students have access to digital devices. But, of course, it's not just about access to devices. It's about infrastructural issues to do with bandwidth, to do with network. Um, There are all sorts of issues about security and and safeguarding. Um, There are also, I think, issues about the underlying pedagogy. Teaching online is different to, to teaching in so those are all factors that have got to be taken into account and they're quite complex a lot of them interact together so i think the migration to online learning or the introduction of, of greater use of technology and um learning is something that's going to take place over over a period of time some of that's going to be impacted and supported by government policy some of it's going to be a matter of, of organic development it's very interesting that um, a lot of teachers in terms of using online learning have have been quite successful in using a lot of existing platforms like um, Google Documents, Microsoft Teams, Zoom and so on. Teachers have been able to um, move their their teaching online using existing applications and combining them in ways that suit their own particular teaching styles. And that sort of organic development, I think, is also just going to be just as important as, as government policy. And we've spoken an awful lot about the disruption that the education sector has had to contend with over the course of the last 15 months. From your experience, Simon, both before and after stepping into your current role, do you think that Westminster's liaising with and guidance issued to the education sector has been timely and up to scratch, or do you think that schools could have been better informed throughout this? 
we've been living through a, a, a period in which changes happen very quickly, but also events have unfolded with, with great rapidity. And I think back to the period just before Christmas last year, and, and we thought we were sort of in relatively um, getting into a relatively better place with COVID rate, infection rates going down, and then suddenly the Kent variant hit. And so governments had to respond over a period of the pandemic to fast-changing events. And the, a lot of the decisions they've had to make have been highly consequential and had to be made in a very compressed period of time. And there are all sorts of issues that arise out of that. Some of it's to do with communication, some of it's to do with understanding the interactions between decisions in one area of policy having an effect on another area of policy. So I think governments have to deal with an extraordinarily difficult set of circumstances. Of course, some things could have been done better. Um, but on the other hand, other things have, have worked quite well. And also there's been a learning period. I've, I've only been doing this job, I think, since January this year. Um, so obviously I was less engaged um, during the course of, of last year. But the impression I have is that over the period of time, government has been able to respond and adapt to difficult circumstances in which it finds itself. And it is, as a result, able to do a much better job now than it might have been doing 18 months ago. And of course, one of the, the primary things that emerges from that is the importance of communication. And that's, that's tricky because mm. there are complex messages to be communicated, to be communicated to multiple audiences. And the points that are responsible for communication don't always work in sync. So I think it's, it's quite a big challenge. Um, but overall, you know, we have, progress has been made. And of course, we're speaking at a time where we have a new health and social care secretary in Sajid Javid, and he's made very clear that his immediate priority is to end social restrictions on July the 19th as soon as possible and get things back to some form of normality. Even though we're going to see that return to some sort of normal, do you think that the legacy of COVID for young people is going to be a large-scale mental health crisis and that our educational institutions are going to have to be very, very sensitive to that? There's been a lot of talk about the impact on students' mental health and clearly they've had to cope with high levels of disruption and high levels of uncertainty and that's always unsettling for anybody and probably even more unsettling for young people. They've also suffered tremendous deprivation of the normal social contact and social experience they would have. I don't know whether that's all going to contribute to, to mental health problems, but it certainly contributes to, to a feeling that they've had a less enjoyable experience as young people than they would have had in normal times. And yes, so of course, I think we'll all bear the legacy of that for a long time. It's been a scarring experience. It's been particularly scarring for young people. I think partly because of the reality that they're much less affected from a health point of view um, by the changes and sacrifices that we've all had to make. Um, but they, they have nonetheless borne the brunt of, of many of the changes that have had to be made, and particularly in terms of the impact on education. So I think it, there is going to be a long-term effect. I think when people um, reflect on, on this period, it is something that will be seen as, as a, a real inflection point. And we've been talking very much within the context of education throughout this discussion. So looking back on the last 14 or 15 months at large, what are some of the key lessons that you think the sector should be taking away from this pandemic and the experience of going through it? Well, as I said, I've only been doing this job for the last six months. So it's difficult to call it as much authority on on 
what took place last year, but overall in terms of the, the impact on education, clearly technology has been something that's been very important in terms of reducing the level of disruption. We've talked a bit about communication. Uh, I think we all recognise the huge importance that, that schools and colleges have as places in which students can socialise and, and get together. Um, and we will all have to reflect on the the different nature of the experience of being educated online to being educated in the classroom. It's something that, by analogy, you know, we all we all cope with in an office environment. Many of us are used to, to working in offices together under the same roof and having those chance encounters by the coffee machine and, and so on, um, instead of which we've all been working from home. What's that actually mean in terms of how one thinks about life, how one, one operates, does one work more productively, more efficiently, what does one lose, what does one gain, all those are, are things that we're going to have to reflect on and we'll want to reflect on over coming years once we've got back to some sort of semblance of, of normality. And presuming we do get back to that semblance of normality within the next four to six weeks and we can leave social restrictions behind, over the course of the next 12 months, Simon, just before we finish, what are the priorities of the regulator going to be and what do you think the education sector should be prioritising during this time? Well, I think the education sector as a whole is going to want to prioritise the recovery of some of the learning that's been lost. So that's going to be a really important objective for the sector as a whole. So far as Ofqual is concerned as a qualifications regulator, we have the challenge of what to do in 2022 when the Secretary of State has indicated that he'd like to have a return to exams more or less as normal, though they'll have to be resilient and able to respond to any further changes in the public health environment and also take some account of the fact that the students taking exams next summer will have lost learning. Um, looking beyond that, I think we're all interested in the impact of, of technology and the extent to which that might be introduced to a much greater de degree in the in assessment. Um, it will be interesting to reflect on the role of teacher judgment after we have this year's teacher assessed grades published. So I think quite a lot to be getting into, a big, big and challenging set of, of issues to reflect on. But I think what we're all aware of is the idea of, of a complete return to what things used to look like before COVID is unlikely to happen. It's a very interesting and a very changing time for education, isn't it? And certainly something to keep an eye on over the course of the next uh, few months. And I think that as the clouds start to lift and we begin to get more of an idea as to what that landscape is going to look like, I'd be relishing the opportunity, Simon, to perhaps welcome you back onto the show for a second time, because I have to say it's been a real, real eye-opener having you with us today, and I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk. Uh, thank you, Simon, for your time. It is thoroughly appreciated uh, that taken to join us because it is what we're all about here at the Leaders' Council, getting those voices of authentic British leaders out there. And please do, in the meantime, continue to take care and stay safe with everything still going on. I was speaking today to Simon Liebus, the Interim Chief Regulator of Ofqual, and I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Until next time, now that indoor hospitality has returned, I'll be returning to my usual spot in the Westminster Arms and raising a glass to outstanding leadership, and hopefully over the coming weeks, we will continue taking further strides toward normal life. Please take care, and goodbye.